I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 6. So we are in our summer series called Summer Playlist, and we're going through the first 10 chapters of Psalms. And so if we stay on this trajectory for the next 15 years, we will be done with Psalms in the summer, right, the God's Playlist. And there's 150 chapters, and, and I've just really enjoyed our study. We are in chapter 6 of Psalms, and um, so we're 60% done of our series for the, the year, right, for, for, the, for the summer. But as I think about Psalm 6, of course, we've just been through, if you're really good at math, last week was 5, and before that was Psalm 4. And if you remember, Psalm 4 was, was called an evening prayer. And David ended that psalm by basically saying, I'm going to trust the Lord, and therefore I'm going to sleep. Like, prayer and trust leads to rest. And so he slept. And then it seems in chapter 5 that he is known as a morning prayer. He gets up and he begins prayer. What a great thought. And in fact, last week I shared a quote with you from Charles Spurgeon. It was much longer, so I've just condensed what I thought was the most powerful part of that quote. And it says this, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. That's what Paul said, pray without ceasing. And what a great reminder for us that when I get up in the morning, God would hear my voice. Do you realize how amazing an opportunity we have every single, well, we could say every single moment, but every single morning to get up and start the day with the Lord? It seems like for me, the people that I want to, to have, when I look at people's life and I see someone like, well, for instance, like a Jerry and a Jeannie Howery. When I look at people like that and I think those are people that I could model my life after. Those are people that I want to be like. When I grow up, I want to be like Jerry and Jeannie, right? When I, when I meet people like that, and I'm thankful that Hallmark has many of those people at this church. But when I see people like that, you know what seems to be a common denominator between those people is that they give God time. They get up in the morning and the first person they talk to is the Lord. Now, some of you aren't morning people, right? Some of you, let me tell you, the first person you need to talk to is the Lord for sure. Right? My kids were both that way. Like, I am not having a conversation with them right now because they are mean. How many? No, I'm not going to ask that. Maybe I'm that way. So I, I'm always up first in our house, and I'm most always out on the back porch spending time with God. Because if I don't spend time with God first, I'm not that good of a guy. And even sometimes I'm not that good of a guy. But Psalm chapter 6 kind of changes this emotion. What we see in Psalm chapter, chapter 6 is we see, again, Psalm 4, 5, and 6 were all written by King David. It says they were all written to be sung. It says they were all written to be sung to the chief musician. It says that they were all written to be accompanied by an instrument. This one, it seems from what theologians would tell us that it was to be sung by an eight-stringed harp. And some people said that the tradition would be that this song, this Psalm chapter 6 was sung on the Wednesday before Easter. It's the first penitential psalm, like this psalm of 
penance. It's a psalm of lament. And so we get, this is one of the things I love about the book of Psalms because Psalm chapter six was written by a real person who had real struggles, who had real suffering, who lived in the real world. And sometimes life for him was difficult. Is life ever difficult for you? No? Yes? How many would say like right now is a season of difficulty? Can you just shake your head, right? But think about, I, I was just trying to narrow down the emotion because there's a lot of emotion in this psalm, but I, I was thinking of two words, like David was stressed. Can I get an amen for stress? And he was suffering. Could anybody in the room identify with those two thoughts, stressed and suffering? And, and the truth is that we could all probably on some level, even this morning, identify with those two words. And it's interesting that potentially, even though we identify with the same two words, that what brought on the stress or the suffering may be a thousand different things in the room, right? And it seems like in the text this morning that David's stress and suffering was a result of his own sin. And that kind of makes it an interesting chapter. But what I want us to lean into this morning is that when David was stressed and suffering, what did he do? Well, he cried out to God. So maybe if we're going to look at this text this morning as maybe a model of how we should respond when we're stressed and suffering, what should we do if we're stressed and suffering? Cry out to God, pray, seek the Lord's face. And so as we walk through this this morning, let's take time to read the 10 verses. Psalm chapter number six. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Oh Lord, heal me for my bones are troubled. Do you, do you see and do you hear, do you feel the emotion? My soul, verse three, is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, Seven times in these 10 verses, he uses those word, the word Lord. But, but verse three, but you, O Lord, how long? Can you identify with that question? How long is the suffering, the stress, the pain, the anguish, the grief? O Lord, it's almost as if he is a loss of words. I'm done, like how Long Verse four, return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give thanks? Verse six, I'm, here, here we continues this lament. I'm weary with my groaning. All, now, all night I make my bed and swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. And so as we walk through this this, this morning, I, similar to last Sunday in, in chapter five, I, I just kind of, in my brain, the way I was thinking through this passage, I broke this up into three sections. Okay, and I'll give you the three sections here in, in case you're taking notes and then we'll kind of walk 
through them. But in verses one through three and then verses six through seven, we just see real and raw, okay? This is just how my brain works, all right? Verse four and five, it says reorient and request. And then verse eight through 10, remember and recall. And as we walk through this, let's kind of use this prayer, this song of David while suffering as maybe a model for us when we are in stress or in grief or in suffering. And as I said, it seems that David's reason that he's grieving, he's in pain, he's suffering, he's hurting. You, you, You heard the words like, my bones, my soul is in anguish. It seems like whatever is bringing the pain, the suffering, the grief, the loss, the hurt is a result of David's own sin. Which makes me think of the question this morning, does God discipline his children when they sin? I don't want you to answer out loud, but do you think that God disciplines his children when we sin? Is it possible then, let's, let's think of this question for a moment before we really get into the outline. Is it possible that And when we get sick, we have problems in our relationships, our jobs, our family, is it possible that our grief, our suffering, our hurt, our loss is discipline because of unconfessed sin? Okay, so it's really heavy. You guys are like staring at me with somber eyes and I'm like, man, maybe you all do have a lot of sin to confess. I don't know. So, Let's answer this together. Is it possible that some of my suffering, some of your suffering, whatever might be the cause of that, could be a result of unconfessed sin? Is that, do you agree with that? Okay. We're all in the, we're all in this together. Okay. Anybody think of High School Musical? We're all in this together. <laughs> Who thought of that? Okay. My brain is so random. In fact, when I was reading, every time I read this, have mercy, I go back to 1989 and TGIF, you know, and Jess, Uncle Jesse's like, have mercy. Anybody relate with that? Okay. If you're 40 and up, you may be. 50 and up. Oh, man, I'm 50. Well, if you're 50 and up, I'm not 50 yet. I've got a few more weeks. Where was I at? I was listening, in fact, I asked this question that's on the screen, I asked this to our staff this week on Tuesday morning. It seems like, I'm just talking out loud, okay? I'm just kind of thinking out loud with you. It seems like for me, and maybe it's my own whatever, that I, my first thought when something goes wrong is not maybe there's sin in my life. It's not my first thought. But I was listening to um, a commentator say this. It seems like in the Old Testament, when someone got sick, their first thought was to look inward. Like the question they ask is, have they sinned against God? And thus their sickness is God's discipline. Now I'm gonna just assume that you may be like me, that probably it's not your first thought. And as I asked that question to our staff this week, 
they, they were in, you know, in agreement with me that it seems like it's not the first thing I think of. It may be the last thing I think of. Because I want to fix it or I'm going to take some medicine or I'm going to whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going, to, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to whatever it might be. And the last thing that potentially I think of is that, well, maybe God's discipline is on me right now. And we've all just, I think most of us were in agreement publicly that possibly our suffering is a result of our sin. But why is it then that's not our first thought? Even when Jesus came to heal a blind man, remember what they asked Jesus? They said, is this sickness because of his sin or his parents' sin? And what did Jesus say? It's, it's neither. It's so that God would be glorified. But it seems like their first thought was to look inward and it just seems like, and I don't really have a, I'm just kind of giving you a, a thought here. I don't have an answer for it. Is that it seems like maybe in our culture, it's the last thought. It, it can't be my fault. So is, is sin, and, and we could unpack a lot, and I, but I want you to turn to Hebrews. Because I want us to be really clear on one thing. So, you know, there are some things in life that are just natural consequences, right? There's, there's cancer in the world, not because of my sin, but because of Adam and Eve's sin. If Adam and Eve hadn't messed up, we wouldn't have sickness, we wouldn't have death, but they did. And sin entered the world and death to all men. And so thank you, Adam and Eve, right? So there are some consequences of sin that have been passed to all of us, just natural consequences. Sometimes there's just natural consequences of our decisions, Right, that if, if I choose to, for the last 30 years that we've been married, if I were to choose to never talk to my wife, we probably would not have made it 30 years, right? If I chose for the last 30 years to smoke three cartons of cigarettes every single day, there would probably be result of that. There's natural consequences of that. If I would have chosen for the last 30 years to stop by Krispy Kreme Donut every single morning, you wouldn't see this great physique right here in front of you. Be some natural consequences, right? If I didn't choose every morning to get up and go work out, trust me, I would look different than I do right now. Sometimes they're just natural consequences. Like, because I smoked every day for 30 years and I got cancer, it wasn't God's punishment on me, it was just my stupidity, right? There's just some natural consequences. But in Hebrews, we see that there are consequences. Did I say Hebrews chapter five? I meant 12 if I said five, okay? I don't know, I don't know what I said. You never know what's coming out of my brain, so how could I remember anyways? Hebrews 12, verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And here's where it gets a little heavy, but very clear. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with his sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, here's where it really gets kind of heavy. Then you are illegitimate, and you're not sons. 
And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that if you are a child of God, he will discipline you and he will discipline you in love. What's great is what David didn't quite understand is when he said, don't chasten me in your anger and your deep displeasure, like don't pour your wrath out on me, what David was saying. What David didn't understand that we now do understand is that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. We're not, when we sin as followers of Jesus, we're not gonna get the wrath of God, but we will receive the discipline of God. And you as a parent, should know that when you discipline your kids, you should not discipline them while you're angry. Because that's not the point of discipline. When God disciplines us as a follower of Christ, we're not receiving the wrath of God. And you can be grateful for that. But then he says, if you can live in sin continually and not be disciplined by God, what did the author just say? Then you are illegitimate. You are not a child of God. So the truth is, if you are experiencing the discipline of God, it's, the, it's, it's awesome. Because what it says is you're a child of God. It may not feel awesome. That's what the scripture says, like no discipline in the moment feels good. Now I remember as a kid, discipline in the moment rarely felt good. Can you get it, say amen to that? I also remember as a kid, that I was a punk and I would tell my dad, oh, that feels good. Okay. We're gonna skip over that. Pretend like I didn't say that. Scratch it from the record. My dad's here, he can testify anyways. Let's get to the outline. But, 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 but before, we, before we move on, let's just realize that possibly, and we're just using the word suffering kind of generic today, that the suffering you're experiencing is a result of your own sin. That's what David realized. And so if that's true, then what should you do? You should confess. Two weeks ago, we talked about that, right? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to restore and bring us back into fellowship. That's what, that's what you need to do. Come clean before God. That's what David is doing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when I was at home and I would do something wrong, it became very difficult for me to go confess it to my parents. Can I get an amen to that? And especially if it was like something really big, because I was afraid of what might happen. And I think sometimes we're the same way with God. I cannot come clean before God because who knows? I might receive the wrath of God. Listen, there's, there's forgiveness on the other side of repentance and there's healing on the other side of revealing your sin. So confess it. Okay, let's get to the outline. Number one, this idea, this thought, real and raw. Verses one through three and verse six and seven 
And, and here's what I want you to know. David, King David, even while he's in his sin, comes honestly before the Lord. And what does he say? He, he says, God, this is the way I feel. This is my emotions. It feels like you've left me. It feels like you don't care. How long are you gonna continue to punish me? Here's what I want us to understand this morning. As we look at the Psalm of David, God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubt. God can handle your fear. God can handle your anger. God is not offended. God is not threatened. So take everything to the Lord in prayer. The Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. He saves such as a contrite spirit, Psalm 34, 18. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. And verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts through Christ Jesus. What I want you to know is that if you are in the midst of suffering, even if it's your fault, cry out to God. Be honest with God. It's as if David is saying, God, do you even care that I'm hurting, that I'm struggling, that I'm suffering? How long is this punishment going to last? And this is great news to know that God is not offended when you doubt him. God is not insecure to be unkind, right? When you question me, I have a tendency to be insecure. And in my insecurity, I may react negative to you. Are you guys like me? Admit it, you are. And I think we project that onto God, which is why we keep silent. And be honest with God, be real with God, real and raw. Number two, reorient and request. Verse four, return, return, O Lord. Here's the truth. Did God walk away from David or did David walk away from God? Right? But what is happening here is that David is shifting his focus from his own emotions, his own feelings, to who God is the character of God. Return, O Lord. We just read that, right? Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I love this statement of, of David Mathis about verse four. It says, this is the hinge or pivot in the psalm, the spark that sets the kindling of disorientation ablaze in the fire of reorientation. In other words, David's focus shifts from his feelings to his faith. God return to me and then deliver me. I don't know about you, but maybe this morning you need to hear this. Let your faith direct your feelings. Don't let your feelings direct your faith. What does David know about God? And what do you know about God? That in, in the face of your feelings and your hurt and your suffering and your stress and your pain and your grief and all the words David used here, what do you know to be true about God? This is what David knew. 
when God showed up on the scene to Moses and God revealed himself to Moses and God described himself to Moses, Exodus 34 verses five and six. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And when we don't feel like God cares. We don't feel like God could handle our problems. We don't feel like God is near. Go back to what we know is true of God. God is merciful, that he's long suffering, that he's love. And so David, in spite of his feelings, asked God to deliver him. Why? Would God deliver him? Why does David think God would deliver him? Because you're God. It's in your character. You're merciful. When we ask God to work within his character and his nature, you know what his answer is always going to be? Yes, because it's in his nature and his character. God is always merciful. God will always forgive. John Trapp says this, how oft prayer found me despairing, almost, but left me triumphing. That's what the next section talks about. Verse, or number three, remember and recall. Nothing has changed in David's circumstances in his prayer. It seems as if this is one conversation He's crying out, how long is this going to happen? God, I know it's my own fault, but he gets up. He ends the prayer. Look what he says in verse number, uh, number eight and verse number nine. He says, depart from me, all you works of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and suddenly and be ashamed suddenly. Like nothing has changed in his circumstances. Only David's perspective has changed. And what he's doing is remembering the goodness of God. He's remembering the faithfulness of God. He's remembering how God has answered his prayer in the past. And he is believing that when he comes to God in faith, requesting in the character and the nature of God that God would receive mercy if he would repent, he believes God will answer. And we pray believing in the will of God, God will answer. Do you believe that? And sometimes we just have to tell ourselves that, right? It's almost as if you could go to David and say, Dave, remember, I think it's verse number eight of Psalm chapter four. Remember what you said when you had your evening prayer? You said, I'm gonna pray about it, I'm gonna trust God, and then I'm gonna rest. And here we see him in Psalm chapter six, crying all night like a big baby, right? Sometimes we just have to remember, God has always delivered. God has always showed up. On his time, not always my time. And I think verse number eight is repentance. I think you could look at it two ways, and scholars do look at it two ways. And I, I think it's not necessarily either or, but both and. I think he's speaking into that, like, depart from me. I'm not listening God's, going to, serve, God's going, going to protect me. God's going to provide. But I also think, remember Psalm chapter one? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. 
or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates when? Day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Why? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It seems to me that verse number eight is David thinking about Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not, nor stands, nor sits, And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And maybe the sin David is involved in is associating and receiving counsel from the ungodly. Depart. And then he leans in the Lord. He remembers the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. And that's what he places his faith in. I want another quote for you. David Mathis. How are you restoring your sanity? Anybody feel crazy sometimes? And you feel like your life is crazy sometimes? You ask the question, how are you restoring your sanity if you're not praying and rehearsing God's promises? If you're in a season of suffering, have you considered whether your present spiritual weariness might stem from a lack of prayer? No, it's not my fault. Couldn't be. Let's, let's just take a moment to rehearse a few promises of God, really specifically one we see in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, let, not your, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you are suffering and stress. Take your cue from David and pray. Here's what I find interesting about this chapter. It seems as if David ends the chapter in peace, peace of mind. Depart from me. God has heard my prayers. God has heard the voice of my weeping. Man, there's so much in that. I wish we could take a long time to unpack that, but just think for a moment. Those of you that have had kids or have kids, multiple kids, you remember you could, you could tell which kid was crying, the voice of their weeping. And as you get experience as a parent, you could even understand what they were crying about. Like they're sad, they're mad, they're hungry, their brother has just punched them, you know, whatever it might be. I remember as a really young parent and when Blake, who just turned 26 this week, when he was in his crib crying and, you know, I'm trying to sleep at night, enjoy, you know, we're first time parents and she wants to get up, you know, every time and she has much more compassion than me. And I'm like, they're crying, which means they're breathing. <laughs> he's, he's good. Is that, is, that, is that good? You guys wonder how we made it 30 years, right? 
it is true though. And you could start learning, oh, I, I need to do something. That's, that's a cry I need to go listen to as you knew your child. Think, think about that reality for a moment that David says, you have heard the voice of my weeping. Don't for a second feel like when you cry out to God, he doesn't hear the voice of your weeping. If me being evil knows how to good give, give good gifts to my children, how much more does my heavenly father in heaven who is perfect know how to give good things to them who ask? The worst thing you can do in your time and season of suffering is to not talk to God about it. Cry out to God. And it seems from this chapter of scripture that the peace which is on the other side of prayer is not contingent on the answer of prayer but the activity of prayer. David has not received an answer but yet we see that he has peace. God has heard me. God is going to answer. I'm going to trust. And maybe what you and I just need to do more of is talk with God. Be real and raw so he can reorient our focus. And we'll remember God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Would you bow with me in prayer? We're gonna close the service in a time of worship. A wonderful song called Jesus Paid It All. And during this song, I would encourage you if, if, if you're in a season of suffering, whatever the issue, maybe this morning you need to walk down to the front and maybe you need to confess some sin. Maybe you need to be honest, real before God. God, yes, I confess. I'm living in sin and I confess it. Maybe this morning it's just to reconnect with God. You maybe you need to walk down to the altar and just say, God, give me peace. It passes all understanding. I just want to reconnect with you. Return to me, Lord. Deliver me. Whatever, whatever's on your heart, I, I would encourage you to just pray.